Now, Ross is our curate here. He also has a very important job in Westminster. It's very important, very, very important job in Westminster. Pray for Ross. He is, you know, you were in Israel, weren't you, this week? Uh, next week. You were in Israel next week. Uh, but you've, you've traveling a lot recently. Yeah, a lot, a lot of travel, yeah. Do you want to say just a bit more about what you do? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm what they call a minister in secular employment, and I spend most of my life in the world of politics. Um, please don't judge me as a result of that. Um, but uh, quite a lot of that time is helping either uh, faith leaders understand politics better or politicians to understand faith a bit better. So that's, yeah, that's it. That's what I do. And uh, I, I just think this is such an important role. I mean, I, th I think you guys all can see. You know, we, we just interesting. Any comments on the on, on the on the SNP discussions this week about Nicola Bray? And uh, well, I, I mean, it's, it's really really challenging. On Monday, I had dinner with um uh, with, with someone who is supporting Claire Forbes, who's who's running as the leader of the SNP, um, and it's just it's a really challenging scenario for Christians right now because it it's difficult to have integrity with what you say, with what you believe, and and be honest in public when you know that actually there could be some really difficult political costs around that and you don't always feel that other people are held to the same kind of standards in terms of integrity and authenticity as Christians are and so I do pray um, there are lots of Christians particularly in Parliament where I spend most of my week working and lots of Christians interestingly standing or planning to stand at the next election so it certainly is that God is calling people there which is brilliant news but what they do need is a heck of a lot of support because to do this well and faithfully with real power and clarity is really challenging. So, um, yeah, please be praying. And people who work in Parliament here are Christians. Anyone else? Yes. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, I think, in the room. Amazing. So the people here who work in government in different ways, um, and Ross has a really important role to play. I just think it's really important we don't, abdicate the public square you know if we want to see transformation of our nation it's going to be because they're Christians in politics so we please pray for your Christian politicians and people who work as civil servants in Whitehall because actually it makes a massive difference having Christians at the center and if we're not at the center the Marxists are all going to be in the center um, I'm not making too much I'm not going to start a political conversation about about Karl Marx but I'd rather that Jesus Christ <laughs> was at the center <laughs> okay I'm sure we'll all agree yeah in a very leading way, that we'd rather Jesus Christ and the Bible were at the center of our politics. Than Karl Marx. Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> On that bombshell, I shall take my seat and over to you. Thanks, Russ. Yeah. Thank you. And, and if you're watching on the live stream or later on YouTube, that is not politically positioning our church. We need to be clear about that. Well, good evening. I'm going to try that again. Good evening. It is it's, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for being uh, with us, for turning up this evening. Um, it might be helpful to have your Bibles open. Uh, the church Bibles are over there. If, if you haven't got one, do feel free to go and grab one or use the Bible on your phone. We're going to be talking uh, not about Karl Marx, you'll be glad to know. Uh, we're going to be talking about Jesus and Nicodemus. We're doing this series on encountering Jesus. And John chapter 3 has this amazing story about Jesus uh, engaging with Nicodemus, a very important uh, Jewish leader in his time, and this remarkable conversation 
that they have. Um, I don't know how, put your hands up if you're bilingual. Have we got any bilingual people? Uh, some very clever, see, look, clever people, speaks two languages. I'm, I'm not even sure I'm lingual, if I'm really honest. I mean, I struggle, as you will see in the next 20 minutes, with English, uh, let alone trying to speak another language. Uh, but I am told, and I do have some people around me who are bilingual, that when you are bilingual, sometimes uh, something just sounds better in the other language. Uh, I, I, was, I was mentored by a gentleman who spent much of his life um, in, as a missionary in India, and he, he said even at the end of his life, when he hadn't been in, in, in India for decades, that actually in certain sermons he wanted to say that thing in Tamil because it just sounded better in that Indian language and dialect than it did in English. And uh, so I am actually, I live in a bilingual house. My wife is from South Africa, and her first language is Afrikaans. And I remember that early on in our marriage, Charlotte would be kind of very excited about something, so excited that she would, she would forget that I don't speak Afrikaans, and she would just blurt something out in Afrikaans. She'd say, which means, uh, good morning, I love you. I am very, very hungry, which probably helps you realize how I navigate my marriage. Um, but anyway... But, but sometimes words are, are so evocative for us in a certain language that we, we, we need to share them. Uh, the New Testament is written in Greek. Um, the Gospels are written in Greek. Uh, Greek was the kind of international language of its day. If you wanted to publish globally and get the story to the world, you wrote in Greek. And so the Gospel writers write in Greek. However, for parts of the New Testament, the sound of what Jesus said, because Jesus didn't speak Greek. He probably did understand the level of Greek. We're not sure how much, but Jesus would have spoken Aramaic. Well, the sound of Jesus's words in the ears of the disciples meant that they couldn't write it down in Greek, so they write it down in Aramaic. Talita, Talita, call me, little girl, little girl, get up. That's in Aramaic. We're in Easter. Aloy, Aloy, Lamasa Bakfani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's Aramaic. It's not Greek. When the disciples were telling that part of the story, they couldn't tell it in Greek because they could still hear Jesus speaking in Aramaic. And there are a number of words that throughout the gospel, when Jesus says them, he's, he, when it's translated into Greek, it's, it, it, into the gospel, sorry, it remains in Aramaic because the disciples couldn't get past that sound. And one of them, very simply, is the word amen. Probably the Aramaic word that we all know. Amen means in truth or in reality, or let it be true, or let it be real. And often when Jesus wants to make a point, particularly in John's gospel, he starts by saying, amen, amen. Let this be true. Hear this often translated as very truly, very true. Not just true, very true. There's an apologist called Francis Schaeffer who talks about true truth. Lots of things are true, but some things are really, really true. And as we read this passage, we're going to find Jesus saying three times, Amen, Amen. He does that 25 times in the whole of John's Gospel and three times in this passage alone. So we're going to have a bit of audience participation because it's not in your Bible as Amen, Amen. I suspect it's in as very truly. And so I'm going to read the first part of this Bible reading. And if I should utter the words very truly, I want to hear you shout back Amen, Amen. Okay, very truly? Excellent. Okay, (laughs) we'll start. Now there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. 
He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anyone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter into the womb for a second time to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can, uh, sorry, I've lost my place now, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. We're going to come back to that in a minute. So our men are men, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And for Nicodemus, it, this, this is all a bit of a shock. Nicodemus, um, his first question probably isn't how. His first question is why. Why, why would I need to be born again? Nicodemus is from a very good family. He's kind of got good heritage. He's got great social standings. He's one of the Jewish leaders. And so he's one of the people that has a kind of role in, in shaping the rules and the life of the nation. And he's considered to be someone of, you know, significant relig religiosity and kind of wisdom. Why would, why, would he want to be, why would he want another life? Why would he want to be born somewhere else or born again when actually he's quite comfortable with everything he's got? One of the things that often holds us back, whether you're Nicodemus or me, is that actually we don't always see the need for a new life or a different life. We're quite comfortable with the life that we've been given. We live in the fifth wealthiest country in the world. In my opinion, we live in the greatest city on earth. And in all of our opinions, we go to the greatest church in Christendom. Thank you very much. It's great to have the ops director on the front row, especially in terms of the operations. Amen, amen. Excellent. There you go. We're comfortable. We're comfortable with what we've got. And so one of the things that sometimes holds us back from experiencing the life that God really wants to give us is our level of comfort. Many of us are like Nicodemus. We, why, why would we want a new life, a bigger life? Why would we want to be born again? And that sense of comfort holds us back from receiving the life that maybe God wants to give us. Maybe he's already given us and yet we haven't started to enjoy it yet. So when Jesus says, amen, amen, you must be born again, we have to say, are we too comfortable? Or are we really willing to say, amen? Let's move on to the next part of the verse. So Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, very good, excellent. Uh, I didn't bring prizes. I should have bought prizes. I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And Nicodemus says again, how can this be? At the church weekend, a few weekends ago, my wife was talking to Katie, who I don't think is here tonight, who's our, our resident anaesthetist in church. And I don't think they'd met before. 
And they, they are not that we, we haven't had many medical emergencies that have required a consultant to keep someone alive. I should stress that in the same way that we're not as interested in Karl Marx um, as, as Will uh, suggested earlier. Um, but anyway, Charlotte was talking to Katie, our anaesthetist, and, and, and she said, what did you do? Because we're fairly new to church. We've been here since July. And Katie says, oh, I'm an anaesthetist. And Charlotte said, can I just say on behalf of women everywhere, thank you. And Katie said, you had an epidural, didn't you? And indeed, Charlotte did have an epidural. Uh, in fact, Charlotte very much needed an epidural. Our eldest son, Joe, um, was, it was, the labor was 44 hours long. And so that was a very long time, and you desperately needed that kind of, uh, that kind of intervention to help you get through that. There's this weird thing for Nicodemus. How, how do you get born again? Am I literally going to climb, I mean, climb back into my mother? And he asked, you know, how could someone be, I'm old. How do I get born again through my, it's ridiculous. How do you do this? Well, the good news is, uh, for women everywhere, that Jesus isn't saying that Joseph, my son, needs to be born again and Charlotte has to go through more labor. He says this isn't about flesh giving birth to flesh. This is about spirit giving birth to spirit. This is a type of birth, a different type of birth. And there's, there's, a, there's a key in, in, in the question that Nicodemus asks. If, if you look in the text... He turns and says, how can this be? And that's a question that's been asked already in the life of, in the story of Jesus, but in one of the other Gospels. Because when the angel comes to Mary and says to her that she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world, she says to angel Gabriel, how can this be? And the, and the, and the angel responds, the power of the Lord will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Something is going to happen from above. God is going to intervene and do something in your life. By the power of God, you are going to give birth to the Messiah. And so Nicodemus actually echoes Mary, how can this be? And Jesus' response is, is almost exactly the same. This is not a flesh thing, this is a spirit thing. In the same way that the spirit conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary, the spirit is going to come upon you and you are going to be born again. And in fact, the word's quite interesting. So all of our Bibles really say born again. If you read the message and a couple of others, they don't. They say born from above. And in truth, in truth, it's probably, the word probably means you are born again from above. So Jesus is saying, amen, amen, Nicodemus. You must be born again from above. You must have God come into your life in such a way that your whole life is new and changed and different. That God wants to give you the fullness of his life. The theme of John's gospel is abundance. It's the idea that God wants to give his whole life to our whole world. He wants to break into this world so that his abundance, his amazing, his eternal, his life in all its fullness, his absolutely world-creating, world-changing dead rising, uh, salvation bringing, forgiveness bringing, that life is available to the world. That we experience life in all its fullness, in all its abundance. And what 
what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus when he says, our man, our men, you must be born again from above, is that God wants to give you this bigger life, a life at the moment that you have not quite imagined. For many of us like Nicodemus, our comforts hold us back from receiving some of the life that wants to give, God wants to give us. And more than that, like Nicodemus, we need to realize that the purpose and the plans that God has for us are far bigger than our comfort. What God wants for you and me is something that stretches far beyond what we're comfortable with, far beyond our comfort zone, into a whole new space. It takes us out of those things that we're familiar and comfortable with and brings us into a new life which is bigger and better and more powerful and more abundant. It's what John calls life in all its fullness. Last part of the reading. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus says, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life of him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen, amen, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again and born from above. And yet Nicodemus is sort of resisting these amen, amens. Have you noticed that the three little passages we've read, it's like the first is like, Nicodemus, would you like a glass of water? And he doesn't really take it. And the second one is, okay, I'm going to chuck a bucket of water over you and hope, hope you catch some of that. And he doesn't really take it. And the last, in this last message, he's kind of like turning a fire hose on Nicodemus. All this stuff about the Son of Man is lifted up. This huge kind of sermon about, about all the things that God wants to do, not just to save Nicodemus, but to save the entire world. So amen, amen, Nicodemus. You must be born again from above. And what does Nicodemus say? We don't know. We'll have to wait and see. And before we get there, there's a lot going on in this passage. And maybe the one thing to bring it into sort of final focus as we conclude is this phrase about this new life will be available to you once the Son of Man is high and lifted up. A bit like Amen, Amen, that's like a chorus in John's Gospel. It comes time and time again. And we sing it as a chorus, don't we? We sing, Jesus, I want to see you high and lifted up. It is a really good thing to sing, but it's probably worth us all knowing what it actually means. Because if you want to see Jesus high and lifted up, you just look up. It's a reference to the cross. This is when Jesus is high and lifted up. He's lifted up like Moses lifted up his stick to heal the people of Israel. Jesus is lifted up on the cross to heal the world. 
And for John, that's a major moment because for John, the cross is the throne of God. This is not when Jesus is defeated. This is when Jesus wins. This is when Jesus is crowned king of the world for all to see. And it's this fact that Jesus is going to be king and give his life to us, that God has given his life to us, his son to us, his spirit to us, his forgiveness to us, his future to us, his kingdom to us, his eternity to us, his heaven to us. He's given everything to us in Jesus. And as we look up and see what God has done from above, as we see how far God has stooped to become involved in our life, we start to get a sense of just how big God's plans are. And what's more, if God's plans for Jesus were bigger than his comfort zone, if the story of Jesus takes him outside of what he is comfortable with, it kind of makes sense that actually if his disciples want to experience that life, they too have to get out of their comfort zone. And recognize that God wants to give them something bigger and better. How does it end for Nicodemus? Amen, amen, Nicodemus, be born again and from above. Well, the good news is we know that Nicodemus did say amen. We're not sure quite when. But if you turn to chapter 19 of John's Gospel you will see what happens after the death of Jesus once he's brought down from the cross because he has to be buried. And obviously, at this point, not many people are hanging around Jesus. The disciples have gone, for starters. But in John 19, we see that Nicodemus has chosen to follow Jesus and he's followed him to the end because when someone is needed to help prepare the body for burial, two people play that role. Joseph of Arimathea, who gives the tomb, and Nicodemus, who brings the ingredients to anoint the body. This Jewish leader from the ruling council, at a time when no one else will associate with Jesus, not even Peter, steps forward and says, I will take care of the burial of my friend and my Lord Jesus, risking everything, because he has realized that actually his comfort holds him back and that God's plans and purposes for him are bigger than his comfort. And so he's willing to make a stunning sacrifice. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with the question. What will it take for us to experience the life that God wants to give us in Jesus? What would it mean for you and me to say, Amen? How are we going to say, God, okay, I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone. I'm going to put away some of the things I'm comfortable with and some of the things that make me comfortable in myself because I believe you've got something bigger to give me. And it's scary but I want it. And I realize that as with all things in following Jesus, if I want to grab it, it's going to take a sacrifice. So what are some of the comforts at the moment that you could 
consider forsaking because it would just free up more time and opportunity for you to be with Jesus? Where are some of those areas in work, in family, in friendships that you feel God is he's calling you out of your comfort zone? He's asking you to do some things which you're not comfortable with and you're not sure you can actually achieve. What are some of the sacrifices God is asking you to make? Is it just material stuff? You can do with less. In a world where there's so much need, you could give more. Is it a sacrifice of time? Is it a sacrifice of opportunity? Is it sacrifice of just something you really, really enjoy? But actually, you could do something bigger and better for Jesus if you weren't doing that and you were doing something else. Is it simply, as Will mentioned earlier in Lent, saying, I'm just going to take more time to pray each day. I'm going to try fasting. I'm going to be serious over these next four weeks about making some sacrifices for Jesus because he made a huge sacrifice for me and I want the life that is mine as a result of that. I don't know what God is asking you to do, but I know he says... Amen, amen. Got to be born again. And born again from above. So let's not allow comfort to hold us back from receiving the life God wants us to have. Let's realize that the life and all the things that God has for us is far bigger and far more exciting than just what's within our own comfort zone. And let's receive and enjoy the abundant life that God has for us in Jesus by stepping out and making a sacrifice for him. I want to finish with a poem. It's a poem. I, I used this this morning, and everyone after coffee said, who's that poem by? So I'm going to get it right tonight and say who the poem is by. And it's by a gentleman called Adrian Plass. And it's simply called... Amen. When I became a Christian, I said, Lord, now fill me in. Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. He said, your body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Do you still want to follow me? I said, Amen, I think. Amen, amen, I think, I think, I think I say amen. I'm not completely sure, but could you run through that again? You say my body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Well, yes, that sounds terrific, Lord. I say amen, I think. But Lord, there must be other ways to follow you. I said I really would prefer to end up dying in my bed. Well, yes, he said. You could put up with the sneers and scorn and spit. Do you still want to follow me? I said amen. A bit. Amen, a bit. A bit, amen. I say amen, a bit. I'm not in surely sure about this, but can we run through this again? You say I could put up with sneers and also scorn and spit. Well, yes, I've made up my mind. And I say amen, a bit. Well, I sat back and thought for a while, then tried a different ploy. Now, Lord, I said, the good book says that Christians live in joy. That's true, he said. You need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you want to follow me? I said, amen, tomorrow. 
Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I'll say amen. I need to get it clear. Can we just run through that again? You say that I will need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yes, I think I've got it, Lord. I'll say amen tomorrow. He said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me, a quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you, not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? I said, amen. I quit. I'm very sorry, Lord, I said. I'd like to follow you. But I don't think this religion is is the manly thing to do. He said, forget religion then and think about my son. And tell me if you're man enough to do the things that he has done. Are you man enough to see the need and man enough to go? Man enough to care for those who no one wants to know? Man enough to say the thing that people hate to hear, to battle through Gethsemane and loneliness and fear. And listen, are you man enough to stand it at the end, the moment of betrayal by the kisses of a friend? Are you man enough to hold your tongue and man enough to cry? When nails break your body, are you man enough to die? Man enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown? Man enough to love the world and turn it upside down? Are you man enough to follow? I ask you once again. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen. Amen, 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 amen. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I said, Amen.